0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Landides I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, we have Miguel Iterati. He is a longtime matchmaker in MMA, and so we delve into some of his history. He actually helped book the first all-female MMA card back in 2002 for hook-and-shoot so we talk a little bit about that. We talk about where he got involved with Bodog, which became uh, Bodog Fight Promotions, basically, which entered into a uh, kind of a shared promotional agreement with Strike Force and they actually co-promoted some events such as the first – strike force event at the playboy mansion which was the first ever mma event at the playboy mansion so we talk more about that we talk about him booking fedor versus matt Lindland and bodog that's an interesting story as well as some other cool stuff talk about the podcast that he's doing today with chris lytle so good stuff there so without further ado let's get to it <laughs> All right. On the line with us, we have Miguel Iterati. Miguel, you have been involved in MMA for a very, very long time and in an official capacity for close to 25 years. Been a fan for even longer than that. You've made match, matches all over uh, U.S., Canada, Asia, Europe, South America, North America, the Middle East. I mean, you've worked, sounds like, pretty much on all the continents uh, in, in terms of MMA promotion. So, uh, Miguel, thanks for taking the time to join us.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Phil.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to talk about um just kind of your, how how did you, yeah, let's start with that. How did you get involved in MMA? What what kind of piqued your interest and in, and around when did you get involved as far as becoming a fan?
1: Well, like, like a lot of people from my like era, I started watching, I got, you know, about 93, 94, I started watching the UFC pay-per-views. I didn't see the first one, the very first one, but I did catch the second pay-per-view and then from there, I think I, I went live to like from 10 to 33 i attended every ufc oh wow and, you're a super uh, fan <laughs> well the, the thing is is it really quickly it became more than that you know it, what i did is i met jeff osborne at, at the, the ufcs and jeff and i became partners in hook and shoot and that's kind of the start of the whole thing i i, I went to a hook and shoot in july of 97 and if you look at it, it's a week after Tank Abbott fought Vitor Belfort. So the, by uh, then the bug, the bug, it hit, you know, I, I had been live to see the, the 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 fight, the Belfort fight. And then the next week was hook and shooting. I was like, I was going with a friend of mine who was married. I was like, well, can you go next week? He's like, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I mean? I like, <laughs> right. well, I, well, I can. So I took off and drove 10 hours to Indiana and became friends with Jeff. And then, you know, eventually Jeff and I are really the, the partnership everyone talks about for Hook and Shoe. Yeah, from there, from there, we kind of, uh, you know, I, I we I got lucky and, and was in the ground floor helping the Abu Dhabi people set up their tournaments. Um, I I attended the ninety nine Abu Dhabi, not the ninety eight one, but the ninety nine. Um, by two thousand, I was actually organizing the judging and things like that. So, the, and and we own the rights to those videos. From there we attract the attention of a couple of sponsors. One of them was Dan Lambert. Um he, we were fortunate enough to work with him on Florida shows. And then um Dan actually gave me a made a phone call to me at one point and said, "Hey, I got a friend in or somebody from Russia called me about doing shows." And that was a guy named Vlad and uh Vlad is the person who signed the partnership with Bodog. Okay. Uh, um Vlad was known for shows that are called MFC or euphoria um and they were based out of atlantic city it's not to be confused with the other MFCs. yeah the canadian one yeah and then there's an m1 as well like russia like so because he's russian people confuse him with a lot of shows but he's responsible for about eight pretty strong shows before bow dog and that's what attracted the attention
0: okay and you mentioned uh damn dan lambert i don't know if you're a, a pro wrestling fan but he is uh cutting some pretty tremendous promos on aew uh programming right now he's probably one of the best promo guys in
1: uh in aew he's not even part of the company so um but yeah i'll tell you yeah you know, briefly uh i i do a podcast myself on mma history with chris lytle right uh nowadays and uh that promo gives me hope that maybe i'll get dan on as a guest before oh man i'm sure he'd Um, be a fantastic guest and and that's the thing is is i you know out of respect to him i wouldn't have asked him but since he started to come out of you know in public a little bit i'm going to ask him at some point (laughs)
0: okay well let me know when you do because i'd love to i'd love to hear that one um well you mentioned jeff osborne uh you you two like you said partnered up on hook and shoot which was an extremely important it's not a Name that's really remembered today as it should be, but a very important promotion uh, early on in in the mainstream, uh, you know, acceptance or uh, emergence of, of MMA. And you did the matchmaking uh, for the first ever women's MMA card, which was for Hook and Shoot back in two thousand two. And this, of course, predated Strikeforce really putting MMA on the the mainstream map, as at least as far as the sport goes. Uh, so this is important, but what made you want to put together an
1: all-female card, and then how did it go? Well, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm at that time, I was more of a purist, and I am a matchmaker strictly for competition. Like I didn't have, like there was nobody on my roster that I also managed or tried to get fight. You know, I helped them get fights elsewhere, but I never took a piece of it, or you know, and I would never like protect people or you know. If they were going to make good money, they could go do the fight. And if they lost, I would I would deal with that, you know, bouncing them back or whatever. It, true matchmaking, not, not a business angle to it, right? So I was against the women's show. I didn't have enough fights for the men's roster. So, you know, at that point, you're doing six or eight shows a year and it becomes a little bit hard to, you know, keep everybody happy. And we were building a good roster, right? So it was Jeff's baby. And I'm glad that you know Jeff said I'm going to do it anyway or you know whatever it was uh, I was there I was supportive I was I guess I am the official matchmaker but Jeff did a lot of the work there and uh it was eye opening in how did it go I'll tell you I had been matchmaking at that point for 4 years and we used to have a saying we used to say on Wednesday of fight week we'd say okay three things are going to go wrong at least between now <laughs> and, and and the show you know somebody's <laughs> going to cancel three people are going to cancel somebody's you know something's going wrong so we were all we were already hardened and prepared and the women's show was the easiest thing that we'd ever done because the women and the the, there weren't many women fighters but the ones that were there were already they had access to men and men training they knew what the sport was about they knew what they wanted they were very focused they were very glad to have the opportunity everyone showed up with medicals everyone showed up with their contract signed everyone showed up with pictures and headshots and everything was done And that's a little bit of the difference between men and women. The men, you have to chase them all down. (laughs) And and still, you know, till the end of days, we were chasing men around for their paperwork and stuff. But the women were so hungry for the opportunity. It was the easiest show. And after that, and and great fights. So with that combination, then I could no longer, you know, just say, hey, I don't have enough fights. We just got to work them in. And ever since then, we started, you know, pretty consistently putting women's fights on all our cards.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's, I mean, like I said, it was ended up being essentially a precursor for what we would see a few years later. And I think in a lot of, I mean, I don't want to say that's, Oh, there's a direct correlation necessarily, but I mean, obviously you needed those types of events to give uh, female fighters the opportunity to get the experience they needed to get to the point where they could be in front of larger and larger crowds. So uh, definitely an important moment in women's MMA history for sure. Uh, but let's let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about Bodog, because as, as you know, this podcast about Strikeforce, there was a partnership between Bodog and Strikeforce. But going back a little bit, um, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the promotion and kind of what the vision for the
1: organization was. It was pretty chaotic, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, the bottom line is, is Vlad is, you know, with Dan Lambert, you know, and Jeff, And and even the sheiks from Abu Dhabi, the the sponsors, so to speak, of the shows, always had a passion for the sport. They they like the sport as well. Even the sheik is, you know, it's not really about money for him. He does like the sport. He rolls and does things like that. Lambert is a black belt by now. He was a brown belt when I knew him. Vlad wasn't that. Vlad was a businessman and Vlad liked the ostentatious nature of things. Um, you know, doing things the Russian way and things. <laughs> uh, so it, it made it very interesting there, but it was Vlad that it, uh, attracted the the combination with Vodog and trying to take it big. And Vodog uh, was, as I understand it, Calvin, the owner, was kind of into fights and he liked fights and, you know, he was making money by his online casino by the boatload. So he dedicated a bunch of money to his entertainment end, which was part of what I consider is the confusion of Bodog is, is Bodog fight was under Bodog entertainment and Bodog entertainment also involved like a whole music section. Hmm. And uh, you know, all, so like all the losses and things that are applied there, I'm totally like you hear like, Oh, they spent X amount of money or whatever. A lot of that went also on music. They had, at the same time our show was on TV, they were on TV with a show, Battle of the Bands, and they were traveling bands around and spending money like that. So that was all going on under Bodog Entertainment, and, and we were under their Bowdog fight. So, yeah, it was chaotic because there were times where, you know, uh, the executives were on the music side, and I was really the only fight person. And, you know, that causes a little bit of stress because – I like to do things my way <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's hard to accept, you know, being told, you know, doing things from by other people who don't know anything about the fight game. You know? Yeah.
0: Which has always been, whether it's MMA or pro wrestling or whatever, that you have people outside the sport that think they can make some money on it. And then they try to come in and do it their way. And it usually doesn't work.
1: See Elite XC, <laughs> see Yeah, yeah. You know, see, a, bunch see other a million people. of us. So the problem, the problem with Bodog, for example, was first I I, I sincerely believe Calvin liked the fights. Like he liked, like he would have continued doing it probably as a sponsor if it could have been something that you know wasn't always running in the red. But the executives under them, you know, were not fight people. And I think that that makes a difference. You know, putting bans on mma shows never works and you when you can't even suggest to them that you know we don't do that because they're like no you can't talk to the execs about that They'll, they want the band so bad so you know little things like that you know you start to see there's going to be some long-term trouble with Bodog. but yeah it was flashy and i i think if you look at the roster that at, at least in terms of the roster the roster was getting ready to compete at a higher level and no we, we, And I think we attracted the UFC's attention. Like they're very, like we were like having fun and getting bigger and doing it that way. But the UFC was like, no, 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 this is a business. And, And they were very cutthroat and we weren't ready for that. We weren't ready for that. That jump, we were bigger than we could handle in terms of, protecting ourselves getting pay-per-view time and things like that so like i said it was a little chaotic
0: <laughs> yeah and that's a good segue when you talk about the the fighters because the list of really good fighters that and as i say these names not all i mean some of them were very early in their career and they weren't who they would become but just the fact that you were booking these this level of fighters whether they're already established or not you know really shows the eye for talent the uh, I guess the purity and the matchmaking as you, as you put it um, there were, it wasn't pride style uh, matchmaking, you know, you didn't see, you know, giants fighting uh, you know, little people basically. I mean, it, it was, very obviously, very...
1: Don't, don't, don't get it wrong. Live made me do some of that, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: I, there's like as I kind of look through the events because there's not a ton of Bodog fight events, but as, as I scanned through them last night, there were a few that made me go, hmm, like Fedor versus Matt Lindland is a, a bit of a mismatch. Um, well, you know, I'll,
1: I'll, I could tell you, I can elaborate about that fight, that's an interesting story
0: okay yeah so let me let me finish uh let me finish these and the the, the, sure, the please, fighter please. names and then i do want to ask about that so uh you know fedor Linlin, obviously jorge masvidal eddie alvarez chael Sonnen, and gracie bigfoot silva kane velasquez very early in his career Roy nelson jake shields gegard musassi i mean that's and that's not even everybody i mean they're eve edwards there's a bunch of other guys that may not be big stars but were you know very very talented so uh, you know, obviously you, yeah. you, you clearly had an eye for talent. So
1: Mike Brown, Mike Sheena Brown. Bessler.
0: Yeah. I mean, follow yeah.
1: WWE. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She's that. done better in WWE than she did in mm-hmm. MMA, but, uh but yeah, it, it just obviously great group of fighters. So first I just want to ask you kind know, of, what was your strategy behind putting that roster together? And then, yeah, I would love to hear a, a cool story about Fedor versus lin That
1: roster been together Put together over a few years, many years, really. Right. That was
0: to be clear. That was not all on the roster at the same time. That was from the beginning of Bodog fight to the end of fight. These are the fighters that stepped into the cage. So not. Yeah, I don't don't want to mislead the listeners and think, oh, that's everybody that was there at the same time
1: because obviously. Well, a lot of those were like we carried like at 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 Bodog. We did an event in Costa Rica that was thirty six fights. It was twelve fights Friday, twelve fights Saturday, twelve fights Sunday. It took the UFC years to, to equal that. They did. They did three fights in a row. And I think it may have been because, you know, I kind of said, hey, I've done a couple of things the UFC never did, like book Fedor and fight, you know, do three fight nights in a row. Um, but anyway, so the point is, is that's 70-something fighters. That's a, so that's, I mean, that's a roster. That's 70-something fighters. That wasn't our whole roster that, at that time. We probably had 150 fighters under contract. So it took a, a long time to get there. And it, you do pick and choose. I, I, I'm proud of the people that you, you named because I do think if you look at it, it wasn't just like, hey, you know, we, he happened to do a drive-by. It's like, I booked Masvidal 20 times. You know, I booked, I booked Chael Sonnen at least six or seven times. You know, I, 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 I think the guys that we picked out for talent, you know, we carried. And that's what I was trying to do. I think that the people that, you know, we're there, we were trying to build a very competitive league. So Gegard Musasi came in, um, impressed. I don't think I was able to get him back, but you had to deal with the same people that I dealt with with Fedor. So right, right. you know, I, I think if I if we had stayed there, Musasi would have been with us for a while. But but uh when I left, uh I think the strategy changed at Bodog and at Strike Force, and it became more Bodog sponsoring them with like, you know. Right. Uh branding and things like that right. and not right. becoming involved in matchmaking. So right. um, as far as Fedor is concerned, the original phone call I had uh it was with Randy Couture. It was supposed to be Couture and Fedor. And I actually had gotten a blessing to offer Couture three million dollars for that fight. Wow. And I got that far with it. And but Couture, he, he said he would have loved to do it. He said he would have like to have gotten a hold of me or heard from me earlier because he had just re-signed with the UFC. Uh
0: And I assume that was during his, uh, he was in legal, legal limbo with the UFC. Yes.
1: And, and when he, and when he came back on that run that he came back, he, that was like a seven fight deal. He signed. That's the deal. He signed. Uh, okay. So, so I was, I was late. <laughs> <laughs> um but in that phone conversation, he says, "But I have somebody who'll do the fight for you." And he handed me the phone to Lindland, one, one of his
0: good. team, one of his Team Quest brothers.
1: Yeah, so it it, it makes sense there at the time. Lindland, you could argue, like Couture and Fedor is two top five guys, right?
0: Oh yeah, for sure, I that's think, a dream I,
1: fight. I think at the time you could argue that Lindland was top twenty five, maybe. You know, so I don't think it it, it was. You know the worst of fights, and the the the, the fact is, is he, Linland is such a competitor. He talked me into it. He did. Oh, he did I'm sure. really I'm sure. really want that fight, and I think he wanted it beyond the money. He made good money, but I think he also is the type of competitor that wanted that. I think Team Quest, you know, Chael, Dan, Henderson. I think they saw Fedor as, as like a challenge amongst themselves. So I think Lin-Lin, uh, Made for about the most interesting fight. The backup, the second guy on that plan was Munson, and okay. the third and the third guy was Roy Nelson. Okay, um, th- so uh, that's the way it worked out, and we went with Lindland. Um, you know, I, I, Fedor, sort of thought it was going to be an easy fight, and somewhere along the line, I got. A call from them, and they said, "You know, Linlin's no easy fight." And I was like, "Well, thank you know, he's <laughs> thank <a> middle, you. <laughs> he's a middle. He's a middleweight, you know." Yeah. What more, what more you want me to give you? <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, my um, my, my, my issue with is not necessarily it's not the skill level because i i respect Linlin as a fighter for sure i mean he was definitely a challenger but as you just said he was a middleweight you know so fighting a, a middle fighting a heavy is just it doesn't matter the skill level that's just going to be a really really difficult fight and when it's told the- me
1: he walks around at 210 at the time Okay. up to 185 so and, and
0: Fedor was not a huge heavyweight so I, right. it makes it a little easier but i mean you're talking about the greatest heavyweight and i'm not trying to i yeah, no, <laughs> i'm not I, trying know, to take shots at you i just saying that it just on paper it's not a competitive fight just from a weight perspective but from a skill perspective yeah Lin-Lin's a come on a greco-roman silver medalist in the olympics and you know very very tough and durable guy so yeah
1: you know when you have you, you gotta go with what like you know I, I couldn't get you know Val Alexander or you know I couldn't yeah. get a, a, you know some famous name. I had certain you know capabilities, and Lillman was the most interesting. The fact is, in the fight, Lillman got wronged. You know, the ref the, the ref who I love made a mistake and and really didn't warn Fedor. And Fedor really tied up on top on the top. Fedor Leland had a body lock on Fedor, and he's an Olympic Greco. Medalist, you know, so you assume he's in that good position. And Fedor used the ropes to stay up for at least three different times, hmm. and then and then he orchestrated the takedown like he wanted because you know he's Fedor, he's not bad at takedowns. So he got Lindland, but Lindland bloodied him in the first punch. Fedor backs off, checks his hand, checks his forehead with his hand, looks at it because he's bleeding. And then he, he's caught in an upper body lock with Lindland clinched up, right, uh, uh, you know, uh, up with his arms. He should have been taken down. And the ref made a mistake and didn't warn Fedor for, or, or say anything. He just warned him, warned him, didn't break him up, didn't do anything. And then Fedor got the takedown on Lindland. Hmm. So it was an interesting fight. But I, I heard a lot about it from Matt and his manager and his lawyer. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's probably the biggest fight we did too. Okay.
0: All right. Well, um, I want to, I got a few more questions or we're, we're starting to kind of run short on time. So I want to, I do want to get to these, but as we mentioned, Bodoc entered into an agreement with Strikeforce, a co-promotional agreement in 2007, did some events together. Although, as you said, eventually became more of a type, like a sponsorship branding type deal than it did actually partnering together on the events, but you did uh, the matchmaking. I if I understand it correctly for the first ever MMA show at the Playboy Mansion, which we've, uh, we've covered on this podcast. And I'll just quickly run down the main card for that, but, uh, opening bout, Jorge Masvidal defeated Matt Lee via TKO. Uh, Billy Vangelisa defeated, defeated Clint Cornell via split decision in which was a very entertaining fight. Josh Thompson defeat, defeated Adam Lynn, uh, pretty quickly. And if I remember right, Lynn tested positive for cocaine <laughs> after the fight, uh, Joe Riggs defeated Eugene Jackson in what was a, a pretty, pretty, pretty tough fight. And, uh, I talked to I interviewed Riggs on this podcast afterwards and he talked about how it was difficult to, beat up eugene in front of his boys um, since they were in the front row i believe <laughs> uh gilbert melendez defeated tetsuji tetsuji kato via uh, unanimous decision in the main event bobby southworth defeated bill mahood via verbal submission mahood had hurt his ribs uh, pretty quickly in the fight and and that was the end of that and i believe mahood also tested positive after uh i think he blew blew positive afterwards but you know an entertaining card there was some 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 really good fights on that card It's an interesting atmosphere at the playboy mansion they ended up doing one more show there but uh what do you remember about the event anything uh, anything interesting or noteworthy jump out in your mind from the event
1: wasn't trevor prangley on that card
0: he was on the second one he was not on this one
1: uh, there may be some confusion as far as i understand the september 2007 playboy mansion show um i did some of the matchmaking for that like yeah might, i i mean looking they,
0: at the fighters i could see like obviously masvidal like you could see where you would probably book some of them and then like coker books some of them on their side
1: yeah yeah that, uh, uh, however however that deal worked out or 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 wherever the other matches came from you know we all went through the commission and stuff but i, I only match that's why i'm pretty sure they may have a mix up there because i'm pretty sure trevor was there because that was my last show with Bodog. After that, they stopped, you know, we had been to Russia. We had been to Costa Rica. We had done a big uh, TV shoot in Vancouver as well, uh, kind of as a home base place. Um, And that was the end of that part of the stuff.
0: Yeah. So let me, I I quickly look this up. So Prangley was actually in the main event of the second one. It was September 20th, 2008. He defeated uh, Anthony Ruiz in a unanimous decision, which was a rematch. Um, I don't know. Uh, you may or may not remember. There was, I think it was like the second or third strike force event where Ruiz got caught in an arm bar and the ref stopped it. Cause he looked to be in a bad position and he was really upset. And so they did a, they did a rematch, but yeah, the, so a strike force at the mansion 2 was September 20, 2008 that was Pranglin Ruiz in the main event bitsiro Ishida versus Justin Wilcox Terry Martin defeated Corey Devella Josh Thompson beat Ash Bowman and Kazuo Misaki defeated Joe Riggs. so they did September 2007 and then September
1: 2008 okay yeah the, by a two, that 2008 fight shows is all strike force that, that okay. that's that that was not me 2007 was I may be confusing the card too uh, but uh but uh yeah that so after that I left. And after that, um, I think Bodog had a couple of commitments. But the thing about Bodog, too, was that Calvin had, like, an image. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, they were like – I was like, why are we, you know, doing the show in Costa Rica? They wanted to do it outdoors. I was like, well, I don't want to do fights outdoors. You know, there's okay. so many X factors. It turned out to work out very well. We had three beautiful days, and, and it, it none of the fighters had problems with the outdoors. So it was okay, but it was like – little things like that they wanted to be ostentatious on the tv show if you remember it with models and you know all the kinds of stuff that they were trying to do and then you know we're at the playboy mansion which seems fine and then after that you we were back in evansville indiana and that to me i i mean i've done 40 shows in evansville indiana that's fine if you got to go back to your roots but it didn't seem like it was going to go along with bodog because it just isn't a match you know what i mean yeah. So that that was my feeling on it, but I was I was they, they fired me, so it's not like I left. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that
0: Playboy Mansion show, though, I, that was uh, again I watched it on you know in preparation for the the podcast episode that we did covered it and it, you know again talked with uh with Riggs about his involvement with the second one. Just he actually mentioned he got bit backstage by a huge bird and just what it you know kind of weird but interesting atmosphere that it was so it's not very aesthetically pleasing especially by today's uh you know standards and and you know what we graphics and all that stuff and presentation but it was a very interesting idea and uh and i you know it was it was interesting for what it was so uh but as you mentioned did bodog was uh you know continued on with fights discontinued its mma operations in 2008 uh, but let's, you know, as we wrap things up, you, you've continued to be involved with MMA. W- what are you up to today? And then uh, tell us about the uh, the podcast with with, uh, with Mr. Lytle.
1: Well, thanks a bunch. Um, uh, you know, I, I booked Chris a bunch. In in the early days, he's from Indiana, and that's where, you know, Hook and Shoot was based. So he's known me for a long time. Uh, we actually negotiated while he was with the UFC for him to come to Bodog and, you know, when Bodog didn't last, you know, we, he made the right choice for himself. So that was good. Um, but we remained friends and he wanted to do something for history. He's, he's been doing uh like uh, the bare knuckle boxing stuff, mm-hmm. uh, like commentary for bare knuckle boxing. And he's been, you know, going to the shows again and meeting fighters. And at this point he's retired, but you know, you stand and you're shooting the shit and, you know, talking and telling stories and stuff. And that's where he, got the idea he was like you know if we don't do something some of these stories and some of this stuff is going to get forgotten so he called me and he called uh, a promoter named mike davis out of the midwest That uh, we call him the mma detective and the three of us are kind of doing a history podcast on the old days so what's what's the name what's the,
0: what's the name of the podcast
1: it's called lights out uh, l y t e s after chris lights out podcast it's available on iTunes and YouTube. It's on a free YouTube channel. They're all out there free, so cool. anyone can go there. It's usually, you know, we do a bunch of clips and stuff, but the, the strong point is, you know, two- or three-hour interviews with retired fighters, um, just going into their career and the smaller fights and memories and stuff. So it's definitely a good time, and it's for the hardcore fans.
0: Okay, cool. Well, if you uh, come across any strike force fighters that uh, you think would want to talk about, uh, their career, uh, thrown my way. I'd love to, I'd love to chat with them. We've had, um, you know, Frank Shamrock and Kung Lee and Josh, uh, Thompson's supposed to be on eventually, but we, Gilbert Melendez, Jake Shields, we've had tons of guys and we've got some more guys lined up, but I'm always interested to talk to people that have a, uh, had some involvement with Strikeforce. So, uh, so sounds like I that. need to go to you for interviews. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to connect if, uh, if needed, yeah. but, uh,
1: yeah, let, let's do that. But, uh, but, uh, for, for now, thank you very much for this time because, uh, definitely a fun conversation thank you
0: yeah for sure well one, one more question before you go i always like to ask what is you know when i talk to a fighter what's your you know what was your favorite fight um you know that you participated in but for you what's the what's your it would it be fedor linlin that's your favorite fight that you made and and if so why
1: hey i gotta i'll i i prefer to talk about the old aaron Riley eve edwards uh okay rivalry man, that, that that's a had. good
0: That's man they had uh, yeah great uh, that's a good call right there
1: because you know we booked that in the 90s the first version of that fight and it was in texas under pancreas rules and that fight you know had a couple of things against the first in texas we're not a promotional powerhouse so there was not a lot of people there um and then under pancreas rules it makes it a little less appealing especially back then in a no holes barred world where almost anything went but the guys are, you know, were future, you know, they were mixed martial artists even back then. So that fight actually holds water and is a spectacular fight that you can still watch. Um, and then we, Aaron took time off, went to train with Matt human. We took time off to put together the rematch and the rematch was in Indiana under MMA full, you know, closed fist rules. And that rivalry and that story it's not like a rivalry where they hate each other they, they love and respect each other but that rivalry and jeff is a promoter storytelling and things like that that was one of our highest moments and it's it's a story and fighters that could could be watched today and not look like you know steve Jenham. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: another another callback there nice <laughs> All right. Well, Miguel, I appreciate you taking the time to be on inside the hexagon. It was great kind of diving into the the history and a little bit more of the backstory of Strike Force and then just some other parts of, of MMA history, but thanks for taking the time to be on the show.
1: Sure. No problem. And uh, thank you very much for having me and take it easy. Thanks to everyone out there.
0: All right. I want to thank my very special guest, Miguel Iderati, for taking the time to join us for today's episode. Appreciate All the insight, all the stories that he shared, got some really cool experiences within the sport of MMA, and I appreciate him taking the time to do that. Make sure that you check out Lights Out, the podcast. Uh, it sounds like it's really an interesting one, if, especially if you're a hardcore MMA history fan, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. So make sure that you go and check that out. Make sure you're also checking us out on social media. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at the Pod. And then, of course, as always, you can reach me at phil at inside the would love to hear your feedback would love to hear more from you Uh, Looking ahead, we're going to be covering Strikeforce Diaz versus Cyborg, uh, which is a really, uh, really interesting fight. Nick Diaz defending the Strikeforce Welterweight Championship against Cyborg Santos. Also on that card, Ronaldo Jacare Souza defends the middleweight title against ruthless Robbie Lawler. Herschel Walker makes his return and makes his final appearance in MMA. And then Hodger Gracie takes on Trevor Prangley. So that should be an interesting fight to cover. So I'm looking forward to that. Hope that you are looking forward to it as well. Uh, But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy, and we will see you soon.